Greetings, programs. Welcome to the Awesome Friday Podcast. My name is Matthew, and with me as always is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well today, as well as we are, which is pretty well, I think. How are you? I think you use the word well too much. (laughs) (laughs) Does it it sound like I'm actually lying? (laughs) No, it just sounds like you need a thesaurus, that's all. (laughs) (gasps) How dare you? my job i know good words i know some better than good words some gooder words even are you um, trying to say you have the best words because that I has that have. the quote has yeah. some devious connotations now I, I i absolutely do but um no i'm okay i've got visitors here and we were out late last night and let me tell you taking the entire family to a cinema uh is a an expensive and stressful business <laughs> it's so expensive it's so expensive to take like people to go and watch a movie, right? The between the obviously the tickets, which are very expensive, and then the food, which is unbelievable for even like the most basic. I don't know. I think there should be a law that if you're if you're selling kids food, it should be at kids prices, not the same price as adult food. Uh, so I mean, I don't. I, yeah, I mean the movie theater experience has been expensive for a long time so i don't disagree with any particular point it's it's been a while since we've taken the whole family and in during the pandemic i've put a lot of time of effort into like making my own little film room and honestly it's it does such a good job i've got surround sound set up and i've got a nice tv and i'm quite close to the tv and there's no windows and it's completely black and it does such a good job of being a movie screening room that it I, I'm starting to wonder if I even want to go to the cinema anymore because it's so expensive. It's so expensive. But um, but the movie, one of the movies we're going to talk about, I saw last night, and it was on Screen X, which basically means they project the sides. Some scenes have the sides projected onto as well. And I yeah, it's three. Were... It's ba- it's basically three movie screens, right? Like yeah, imagine, imagine a three computer monitor setup, and then it's just that, kind but in a movie of. theater scale. Yeah, kind of. the The walls are not the same. It's just walls instead of a screen, so it's a bit more faded. But the what I was really happy about is that I was worried they were just going to like stretch the image, so you basically like force the um, the ratio across the screen three areas. But it turns out they must have shot specific like extra footage for these side screens. It must be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard of it before um, because it was just extra stuff. And because it was the kind of movie it was, it was pretty damn cool. It was great, actually. Yeah, the movie you're talking about, which we will be talking about a little later, uh, we nearly saw in Screen X, but then didn't. Uh, I nearly saw Doctor Strange in Screen X, but then also didn't. Oh, okay. But maybe That'd I should give it a try. I don't usually like the gimmicky ways of seeing a movie. I don't really care for 3D or uh, mm-hmm. D-Box, which is the like rumbling seats. Oh, yeah, um, that's bad. And uh, I mean, I don't really, I mean, if I want to see an IMAX movie, I'll just go to an IMAX theater. You know, that's the one, that's the one gimmick yeah. is IMAX. I kind of... Uh, that's, that's, that's what Screen X really is. It's just, it's just like Wish IMAX. It's not not every scene, and it's kind of <laughs> it's wish dot com IMAX. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, it is absolutely. And the side screens are kind of uh, angled; they're not like full rectangles, so it, it's fine. It, it does add to the experience. Not like 
D-Box, which detracts from the experience, and 3D, which detracts from the experience. But it actually does add something. When you when it comes on, you're like, oh, shit, yeah. Wow. I'm... <laughs> that's, that's actually really cool to look around and see side stuff. It's funny, actually. The best the best version of D-Box, if there is a good version of it, which, again, for I'm not sure what they call it in other markets, but that's where like the seats rumble and move. It's like four, in most Cineplex uh, theaters here in Vancouver anyway, it's like four rows in the middle of the theater. And uh, the best version of it is actually sitting about two rows in front or behind of it. So you get just the subtlest of shakes from the chairs <laughs> from other people and other, instead of being right on top of it. But anyway. I think I saw Rogue One. One of the times I saw Rogue One, I, I paid through the roof for D-Box and I turned it off completely within like minutes of the first screen. Because when I want to watch a movie, I don't want to be, I, I don't want a giant man picking up my seat and just shaking it side to side, like randomly throughout the whole movie. It's just, I thought it was awful. Maybe for a bit sick. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I skipped over our intro. So this is where I say that, you know, this week we're going to talk about two movies like we usually do. And we're going to start with one uh, indie Canadian film, which I like, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Simon doesn't. Um, and then we're going to move on to one of the biggest blockbusters of the year, one of the best movies of the year so far, I would say. Spoiler alert. Um, but let's, let's, let's dive right into this Canadian indie feature, which is called The Righteous. It is the feature writing, directing debut of Canadian actor Mark O'Brien. It stars a who's who of Canadian sort of character talent. Uh, and it's a story. I don't really want to tell you too much about the story, but it's a uh, it's uh, it's a movie that deals with faith and guilt and grief, and it's very stagey and it's shot in I think really beautiful black and white. And um, I don't know how much of a plot synopsis do you think I can give without without spoiling I, too much uh, of it. It's like not much more. Like it it does have it's it's a bit of a tropey setup that mysterious stranger who seems nice has sinister undertones and yeah so is that, that's pretty much what you need to know really yeah henry zerny play and and mimi kuzik play an older couple whose uh, adopted daughter has just passed away so they're in the, the the throes of grief and in the middle of the night a mysterious stranger played by mark o'brien shows up and throws the world into upheaval uh, and it's shot in black and white, and it's not the subtlest of movies, uh, which will be a theme this week, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is very, I mean, I I mean, we've talked about this, first off, let's just say, we've talked about this movie before. Uh, we I originally saw it at Fantasia Festival 2021 last summer, but it is finally getting a theatrical and streaming release from Vortex Media uh, this week, actually. Uh, so you will have a chance to see it. Um, and I think this is the first time you have seen it, right, Simon? So yes, I've seen it. Right. Uh, I watched it again this week because I got to speak to Mark O'Brien this week. So uh, check out the feed for the episode immediately previous to this one to be talking about to Mark O'Brien about the movie. And um, I like it. I, you know, I anyone who's been listening for a while knows that I am predisposed to films that are very stagey and play-like. And this is a movie in which, you know, character actors sit around a table and talk a lot. So it works for me. Um, 
uh, I I think that this the my personal take, which I don't know why I said that out loud, but is that the uh, the screenplay could probably use a bit of polish. Um, although to be fair, the movie was nominated for three Canadian Screen Awards this year, including Best Original Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor for Mark O'Brien himself. And uh, that was a hell of a face you just gave me. <laughs> Come on, this is a podcast. You don't mention that. <laughs> That's right. It's a radio show. We have to describe what's happening. <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm going to I'm just gonna, I'm going to stop there. I feel like I've talked about this movie a lot. I wrote a review. <laughs> I've podcasted about it. I've spoken to the director, and it is also the kind of religious thriller, stagey thing that. Simon tends to either glum onto or bounce directly off. So let's find out which one of those things it is. Here's the thing, right? There's, there's a couple of genres. I, his, I love Stranger Turns Up and ha, has more than meets the eye, like apart from Transformers. I love that genre. Um, I, uh, as a raised Catholic, as a religious person, I enjoy dramas about... Um, the conflicts within religion, like people facing personal conflicts with that that kind of challenge their faith and what they do to get through that. I, I enjoy that. Um, I enjoy theatre very much. So, I don't know. This In the last two years, we've had a story where a religious, uh, a priest has a, a crisis of faith and tries to work that through that, and a mysterious stranger comes to their environment who is revealed to be um, not what they thought and add dark tones. And through his battle with this person, everyone speaks in extended monologues about their lives. One of them was Midnight Mass and the other one was The Righteous. And I feel like as a parallel, Midnight Mass was so spectacularly written with nuance and subtlety and uh, used the story beats to slowly unravel the story it was trying to tell. I feel like The Righteous, for me, was the other side of that coin. You touched on it, talking about the, the, the screenplay needing a touch-up. I think the, the, the whole thing was without subtlety or nuance or even within its own logic logic <laughs> like the mm. uh i it, it it um the monologues when people started just monologuing about their life issues to really random strangers really at the beginning it didn't that didn't feel authentic to me and i wouldn't i wouldn't say i enjoyed the writing um it didn't it didn't um move me it didn't interest me it didn't uh, help the story along i think and the when it came to the the revelation <laughs> of who this person is sorry that if you've seen it that's a pun mm -hmm. um the logic of the last third just made no sense to me at all and i didn't uh like or agree with the decisions that were made it just felt like a, a very much like a first year drama production and i don't mean that as an insult i mean as a person who taught 
drama for years and years and years and years, people start without nuance. That's and, and you teach them how to tell a story with nuance. That's really the main job I had. And there's nothing wrong with the ideas and there's nothing like the the execution was okay. It was shot there were some really interesting shots, some very nice deep framing shots and negative space shots. Um so I thought it was like technically it was made very, very well. But the uh, and the acting was was fine, like everyone was fine, but the um, the de- the script and the delivery and the way the story went from one beat to another just felt like it needed a number of passes to add a bit more nuance and a bit more subtlety and a bit less um, fewer sinister undertones. I don't know. Do you know what? I'm trying not to spoil anything, but. The last 20 minutes, I'd already thought it was not great. And then the last 20 minutes really underlined that for me. Interesting. I think that the comparison to Midnight Mass is both... I I think I... I, What am I trying to say? I think the comparison to Midnight Midnight Mass is both fair and unfair at the same time for a couple of reasons i think it's i think it's fair because they do both deal with guilt and loss of faith um uh you know and they they star they both star like a a who's who of, of character talent um i think it's unfair because midnight mass had seven hours to tell its story versus the 90 minutes that this did and also they probably got to spend more in any 10 minutes of that seven hours than this movie got to spend on its entire 90. <laughs> like I know, I know for a fact, cause he told me that the whole budget for this entire project was only 650,000 Canadian dollars, which wow. is, I think when you factor that in and it's not really fair to be like, you should like it cause it was cheap to make. But like when you factor that in a little bit, it's a little, it's, it's a little more impressive to me that they were able to make this for that little um, but I don't also disagree with anything you're particularly saying. I think this is a story that will either work for you or not. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a little, a little sad. Didn't really work for you. I, I, it does work for me. Um, I think that, you know, speaking about the script a little more, um, spe- speaking about his Canadian screen award nominations, I was, I was a, I don't want to say I was surprised that Mark O'Brien was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but I will say that I was surprised that Henry Zerny wasn't nominated for Best Actor. Uh, And same with Mimi Kuzik. She wasn't nominated either. Um, And speaking about the the script, I mean, it's the type of thing where I think it's good and a a little unsubtle, and I really honestly can't wait to see what he does next. Yeah, a lot of your points are valid. Obviously, Midnight Mass, bigger budget and a much longer runtime. But I do think, like, and I said before, with low budget movies, the the directors, the only thing the director can really control is the quality of the script because everything else has to be a compromise. I actually am really, really impressed that he made it look that way with the budget he had because, again, I I think as a director he's got real talent, and I I would definitely watch whatever he makes next. Some of the the first introduction of the stranger has this beautiful neg- negative space shot that has a, a very deep focus with Henry Zoni in, in dark shadow hearing something outside. 
with mm-hmm. this patch of light in the foreground. And it's very theatrical, actually. And then um, the, the stranger kind of crawls or falls into it. And uh, a lot of the shots have the same kind of quality. So technically, I'm really impressed he made, he made it look like that. But I, I think you can find nuance in 90 minutes, just like you can find nuance in, in 10 hours. And uh, as, a, as a budgetary thing, that's completely still within his control. Yeah, that's and, fair. Um, and so I don't really, uh, I don't disagree with any points, but I, I still think there could have been a, a, a better approach to the story that was being told. And certainly the last 20 minutes, like a, a look at what was he trying to say by the ending? And because it, it negates any kind of uh, philosophical or um, religious struggle that the priest was having earlier. Um, it's really hard to talk about the ending without spoiling it, but I would say a... I would say that the, what you're saying is is true, but only if you take the last couple of shots completely literally. Yeah, that's fair. There's always um... <laughs> is this where we start talking about metaphors again? There's, no, there's this always... this is this is where we start talking <laughs> about and and I actually I I spoke with Mark about this a little bit. Uh, we didn't like spoil the ending, but. Um, I think that the ending of the film is designed to be, I know it's designed to be sort of deliberately ambiguous. So if you, if you do take it in a literal sense, then it's not going to make any sense. Like if you, even in, even in a metaphorical sense, though, what it's, what it symbolizes, what it stands for, because it's the result of something he directly said earlier in, in the, mm-hmm. um, in the movie. And uh, the conflict when when the revel- when everything's revealed and the conflict is revealed, the um, there's no way out for them for the main character. Even if you take the end as literal or metaphorical, there is no salvation for for the main character. And the whole topic of the whole movie up to that point has been trying to find a way to accept punishment or find forgiveness. And I think he could have played with that a lot, lot more than actually dooming this priest from the, from the outset, really. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I so I don't I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I'm I will say that the the way it resolves works for me. <laughs> and I think, it's and again, like I, it's it's almost like artist subjective, almost. <laughs> Um, and I think, like I said, I think I, I said earlier that I think this is a story that will either work for you or not. And, uh, I think it just clearly, it does for me and it doesn't for you. And I think that's, I mean, that's pretty in line yeah. with the general consensus as well. For just looking at reviews before we started, um, that, uh, people tend to either, interestingly, uh, spoiler alert, I gave it, uh, I'll, I'll give it a three out of five. And I think that interestingly, I'm kind of in the middle, you know, like uh, a lot of people give it either higher or lower than me. Most people give it either right. higher or lower. So it's, uh, uh, it, it's, but, it's you know, I, I, I think I did, I did like some subtleties of Henry Sony's acting. I did really like the way it was shot. That's enough for it to get to for me. Um, I am very yeah. much looking forward to what he makes next. It's, it's interesting actually, Circling back again to the Canadian Screen Awards, uh, it's super interesting to me that it didn't get nominated for any kind of like 
cinematography or anything like that. But it is for writing. Yeah. Yeah. And acting too. And weirdly, uh, again, not, it's not weird that Mark O'Brien would be nominated for best supporting actor in this, but it is weird that the third nomination was also for best supporting actor. And it was for, um, uh, her name just went out of my brain, but she plays, uh, what's her name? Kate, Kate Corbett. She plays a character called Doris, who is Mm -hmm. like, um, the, uh, the birth mother of the the older couple's adopted daughter. Mm-hmm. And she's only, I mean, she's not just, again, not to say that she's bad, because <laughs> I think she's quite good in what little screen time she has, but also I don't get why they were nominated and nobody else was. Like I, And again, this all comes down to awards don't actually mean anything, because it's all just a big popularity contest. But, well, that's a hell of a face. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to be... I don't want to be negative. I don't like being negative about other people's art. Mark, if you're listening to this, I thought it was really well directed. I'm sorry. I really look forward to your next thing. Um, are you, did you say that Kate Corbett got nominated for an acting award yeah. from this movie? But Henry Zerny and Mimi Kuzik did not. I mean, yeah, I'm just going to echo what you're saying then. Who, who knows what goes into nominations? Yeah. It doesn't uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. There was another movie we watched that I I actually didn't finish because I hated it so much recently that got nominated for a, a bunch. Of, it actually won a Canadian like film like best of the festival. Do you remember that um, UFO movie? What was that called? The the cult movie with um, oh you know, Lois and Superman actress in it. Yeah, it just popped um, up on um on, on cosmic or, cosmic dawn or something, right? Cos- cosmic we, dawn. Yeah, we actually didn't end up talking about it because we we were both kind of. I had to turn it. We'll off. say we'll saw we were soft on it. <laughs> would be a <some> polite <laughs> way to put it. I know. I was I was hard on it. Just the yeah. wrong wrong kind of hard. <laughs> um, yeah. So that won a pretty substantial award. So who who knows what goes into all this? I have a. What award did it win? Didn't it didn't it win like best of one of the festivals? Oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, now I'm. If I was keep, keep talking. I'm gonna have to figure this out. I was. Um, I don't remember it winning that at all. I don't remember winning anything I at all. I was. I was googling it and trying to find out um, some of the cast. I think. Uh, I will say, if you're talking about like if it won like a festival award, and yeah. again, I I'm I don't want to besmirch any festival, um, but there's a lot of festivals, and a lot of them give awards to a lot of weird things. Yeah, there's I mean there's enough awards out there that every movie could win too, and there would be yeah. awards left over. So, yes. Anyway, um, yeah. Who knows what goes into nominations such as these? But uh, yeah, it's a two. It's it's probably just a two from me. But it's I. Uh, it it didn't. The story was not told adequately for me, hmm. and I really hated. I hated the last twenty minutes from a story point of view. I hated it. Well, that sucks. But again, but I'm glad you subjective. liked it. 
art know, is subjective. I know. So. You should still, like, any time any of us says we love or hate something, you should still watch it to find out, you listeners, to find out what you think of it. Because it's one person's voice. It's, yeah, and your own opinions are very important. Media literacy is very important. And you only get that by watching as much stuff as you can from all over the world. Yeah, and also I would argue that sometimes my most interesting reactions to a film or, to, or show are when someone who I listen to or read really doesn't like it. <laughs> and then when I go and watch <laughs> it, my own reaction is uh, uh, often more interesting. <laughs> so, Let yeah. You. Yeah. All right. Well, that's The Righteous. That is actually, it's in theaters this week, and I believe... Uh, it is having a streaming debut this coming week. But, uh, so check your local listings, as it were. Yeah. Do we have local listings, or do we just have the internet now? We, <laughs> we the internet just now, have right? the internet. The internet yeah. is everyone's local listings. That's remember, when, remember when TV Guide was a thing you had to have? I, I do, just, I do. Yeah. Do you even have TV? You only had four channels. Did you even need a TV guide? We still, hey, hey, easy. Whoa, <laughs> then, yeah. We did need a TV guide just for BBC. Thank you very much. The pride I mean, of the world. I mean, I say that derisively, but where I grew up, we only got five channels. So. <laughs> and you yeah. were on an island. Did you, did you have the houses with the massive satellite dishes so you could actually get anything? Uh, when I was a child, we had a giant um, antenna like a giant like fish like the i can't remember how to describe it like the type of thing you see on top of uh like buildings in new york mounted mm -hmm. on a huge on top of a tree and then mm -hmm. when i was a teenager we got a 10 foot satellite dish and oh, we had to uh, register a p.o box in washington state so that we could subscribe <laughs> to um american channels which is how i got hbo how we got hbo when i was a teenager which really helped my like form me as a as a movie nerd wow that's awesome but it was like i don't people people don't really realize but you know because now we just have cable and streaming and in the early zeros we had those little digital satellite dishes that were small they're like a, what a two feet across or whatever and they just point at one satellite and get all the channels yeah. but the ten, the 10 foot satellite dish that we had when i was a kid you had to like <clears throat> so there's a number of satellites and each was at a different position in the sky, and each of them had 24 channels. So <laughs> if you wanted to tune something in, you had to turn the satellite dish and tune the channel. So you actually had to go outside and like physically shift this 10-foot disc. No, um, so we didn't. Ours, the one my, that my dad got for us, came with like a motor, so you could control it from a thing inside. But we definitely oh, we knew nice. people who had one that you had to like go move. It was, <laughs> it was uh, wow. rural living at its best. Wow. Anyway, that's very much like our next movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this past week saw the release of Top Gun Maverick, a 30-plus year later sequel to the 80s classic Top Gun, starring Tom Cruise, directed by uh, uh, Kaczynski. What's his name? Kaczynski? Kaczynski. The guy who directed Joseph Kaczynski, Joseph Kaczynski yeah. who directed Tron Legacy and uh, Only the Brave and... Uh, Oblivion, um, and it's really good. And that's my really review. Good. It's really, really good, and you should see it. Uh, it's good. So, it's, sorry, go ahead. No, we saw. I, I, I saw it opening night, and you saw it last night. I am actually fairly desperate to see it again. I would. I really want to see it in IMAX, but I don't think I'll be able to. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a it's a it's basically as legacy sequels go, it is basically perfect. And as action movies go, it is basically perfect. And as a movie, it is basically like it's basically a perfect movie. That's what I'm trying to say I mean, here. But functionally, there's very little wrong with it. Like, if anything, from a structural point of view, there's very little wrong with this movie. How many films can you say that uh, are, are not? You know, Jurassic Park is a similar movie. Like, functionally, it's it's pretty much perfect. Yeah. And um, and what's really nice as well for me personally is that there's there's basically two shots of CGI in this movie, and you know that there's two shots because they really stand out because everything else is famous actors strapped into F-14s or F- whatever the, the fancy planes are being flown around at ridiculous speeds. Being flown around at ridiculous speeds. So when when there is a shot of like th- this is not a spoiler, a plane going through an explosion just. There's a few of those. It's not a spoiler, and so yeah. you can actually see. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's CG because everything else it, like looks unless it's the best CG I've ever seen in my life. It looked absolutely real, and I'm pretty sure they actually set them up and did capture did. them in the planes. Right? They did. Yeah, Tom Cruise learned to fly uh, a jet plane, um, but also they went up there in twin seat F-18s with someone in the pilot seat and them in the back seat. Yeah. Um, uh, the F-18 has two current variants, one of which is a single-seater, one of which is a double-seater, but that's a whole other thing. Nerd. <laughs> it is. Um, uh, and what I... I mean, to summarize the film, uh, at the beginning of the film, uh, Maverick, who's now a Navy captain, um, is working on a test pilot program, and after doing the, the, a test run... Uh, in defiance of his superiors, he's called back to Top Gun by his friend Iceman, who's now a four-star admiral, to teach a bunch of young hotshots to fly a very specific mission. And then they fly that mission. And that's basically <laughs> the whole movie. The The main conflict in the movie is that one of the young hotshots, played by Miles Teller, is Rooster, who is the son of Goose. And they have a strained relationship although not for the reason you probably expect going into that story which i really liked uh and i'm gonna say right now that as a person who like top gun is a formative film from my childhood Mm -hmm. for for a number of reasons this is a better movie than that this is what I was thinking in the cinema last night because I have zero nostalgia for Top Gun. Like when I was the age it came out, I was watching almost exclusively uh, martial arts movies, Jean Claude Van Damme, and um, science fiction movies. And I went through a period of not really liking Tom Cruise very much. So Top Gun has zero nostalgia for me. And so I, when I was watching this movie, uh, I, I enjoyed it very, very much, but I was not affected by nostalgia. But I thought, God, if this if there's anyone who watches this, who loves this movie, this is so well done in adapting the original parts of this movie. And, and it do that very tricky line of callbacks, but not, um, not without reason, you know, not, they're yeah. not doing a star Wars where they're like, Oh, look, it's that guy from that thing. And, and Oh God. Like, although, although, was... 
Although they are well, kind I of mean, doing a Star Wars, but that's we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, yeah they are. They are absolutely doing a Star Wars, but every every part of the old film that was used in the new film was used as a genuine part of the story, and that's one of the things that really impressed me, like how well it was put together and how well it was developed from story beats of the first one. But I'm thinking, just... God, if this is this must be like the second coming for a Top Gun fan to see yeah, it... this. And what you're talking about isn't just like when you mentioned that it's basically structurally perfect. The the really the really interesting thing is that the basic story structure of Top Gun Maverick is exactly the same mm. as Top Gun. Like it starts out with Pete Mitchell on a on a mission, which he succeeds but kind of fails, and then he's sent to Top Gun, and then the hotshot young students at Top Gun make a fool of themselves in front of their new instructor. And then, like, it goes on and on and on. Like, every major story beat is somehow replicated in this one. Um, and, and he wins them, out, wins them over by taking all their shirts off, which is nice. And yet, right down to the, like, they don't, in the original, they play volleyball at the beach. And in this one, they play football on the beach. Except they play it at sunset, which I think is a better choice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, it's interesting because one of the major criticisms of Top Gun is that it is sort of absent of a political stance. Uh, it's basically just like, 1980s, Reaganism, we're the best, hoorah! And this one is also absent of a political stance, but it, <laughs> but like, in a different way, if that makes sense. Like, it's not, in, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's very much, you know, we don't, we don't have the technology, so we have to be the best pilots, is, you know, we have to mm -hmm. still be exceptional. And when it really comes down to it is this film is really a really unsubtle metaphor for practical <laughs> blockbuster filmmaking and also commenting on Tom Cruise aging as a movie star. And I don't want to spoil any of the movie to explain that to you right now, but no. it's, no. Uh, it's so much of the film is commenting on those two things. And I, I kind of love it for that. It, it does. I saw. I saw Patrick Willems this morning. I uh, retweeted that he. Uh, he said that like his mind is so warped from the last fifteen years of blockbusters that this movie kind of feels like a triumph of old school for adults movie making, and yeah. it kind of does. Yeah. And I know that like this movie does a really good job of appealing to everyone who's going to watch it. Like it's definitely like my eight year old nephew saw it, and I think your kids my loved it. Yeah. Your eight and eleven year old my kids loved it. I I wish I'd had my camera. I obviously I'm not an arsehole, so I don't ever have my phone or camera out during a movie. But I wish I had last night because there's a moment in the last third where something does something successfully, mm -hmm. and my son, because we were sat, me and my wife and my kids were immediately in front of us, full on air punch the air and screams, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, <laughs> and uh, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a perfect movie. It's a perfect summer movie. It's a perfect blockbuster mm -hmm. movie. It's a testament to Tom Cruise's crazy, we should do this shit for real method of making mm -hmm. movies. Mm -hmm. And, and at the same time, a comment on, am, he's kind of getting too old to do this shit much for much longer. And interestingly, and I, I think I said this, I guess we didn't start restart podcasting until after Mission Impossible Fallout, but it's also a nice reminder that when he needs to, he's actually a really good actor. Mm -hmm. 
there's a there's a scene in the middle the scene where he goes to visit the you know the older person who will give him advice to whether he needs to go for the mission or not which in this movie is Val Kilmer um, that scene genuinely made me tear up like genuinely not just because of how well acted it was but also because it was just kind of nice to see Val Kilmer who you know has been in the last several years has had throat cancer and had parts of his voice box removed and still a just being there but b genuinely acting through all of that and and then using with him he spends most of that scene speaking via computer and when he finally like musters up the energy to speak it's genuinely affecting or at least it was for me no, I, 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 it may be quite emotional and I have no connection with these characters whatsoever. So I was thinking of you like bawling, like yeah. <laughs> it's Iceman and Maverick. And yeah. um, the, what I found really interesting as well is, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Val Kilmer as an actor, but when, when you've got someone who has that, that much, who's had that much physical trauma to his acting, like productive parts of his body, and he's acting by typing things into a computer, but he still is like the looks he was given, like the subtleties he was giving with his body language was just like unbelievable. Like he, like he acted really well without saying really anything, and just with a few looks and a few points, like mm-hmm. he was it was top notch. I was really happy to see him, of course, but yeah, he's he's been through a lot. Oh, and also, like just within the story, it was it was nice that I thought it was really nice that Maverick and Iceman were such close friends. Mm-hmm. You know, like they spent the whole first movie being the rivals, and then in the third act, they go on a mission together, and Maverick saves his ass, and they have the whole like "you can be my wingman anytime" bullshit. You can be mine, and it it's kind of heartwarming that they are now best friends you know what i mean (laughs) it's 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 nice that like you said earlier it's nice that everything that calls back to the original film is very purposeful and very well executed and very plot and character relevant i think what makes this movie for me what makes it a better movie because in a lot of ways it's the same movie but what makes it a better movie is that there are actual themes and actual character development and the first one does kind of lack that a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe oh, not to- a, totally. maybe yeah. not a little to- bit no top <laughs> top gun is not known for being a deep movie like people love that movie because it's a balls out it's almost like a michael bay style like complete um i mean it's tony scott it's tony thing. scott's like exactly formative. But, and but it's it also one of the earliest examples of the quote '80s Tom Cruise movie, you know, where um, he's a young hotshot, and there's an older woman yeah. who seduces him, or a woman in power who seduce who gets seduced by, who is the best at what he does, but is reckless, and then has to rein himself in in the third act to, you know, to really self-actualize and win the day. Like if you've watched '80s Tom Cruise movies, especially this one and Days of Thunder, aka Top Gun but Cars. Like, there's a whole formula. There's a whole formula. Yeah, I, I've never seen Days of Thunder. I don't really wish to, but... Honestly, um, Days of Thunder is great, but it's just, it's literally Top Gun with cars. And I did like the very, very subtle metaphor about um, 
Tom Cruise getting older, and that there's there's a number of scenes, most of them delivered by the wonderful John Hamm, who I just wish would be in everything because he makes every movie better. John That's Hamm true. is is like in in his perfect role as like uh, army uh, navy commander who chews Tom Cruise out. Like it's, mm-hmm. he's just perfect. Excuse but, me, navy two star admiral. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my mistake. And uh, there's things like oh, we don't fly those those ships anymore they're dinosaurs and every time he makes a reference to something being old it cuts to tom cruise and tom cruise does like almost <laughs> looks the camera like this is really about me <laughs> like we can't we can't fly this more it's, it's it's the planes are too old and tom cruise is not about the plane it's about the man in the box yeah <laughs> yeah the and it's it's not cheesy i think that's the key isn't it it's not cheesy. It's done with heart and it's done with um, commitment and sincerity. The um, word you're looking for is sincerity. Sincerity, and it's not. It's not. It's massively over the top without being stupid, and it, it just works. It works really, really well. Um, the I, I will be honest. There's parts of this movie that were because I have no nostalgia. There were parts in the, the middle of this movie that I thought where the pace dropped a little bit. It was maybe a three. I was thinking, yeah, this is a solid three-star movie. I like this. Maybe if I love Top Gun, it'll be, Top Gun, it'll be five. But the last act is like, this is clearly a four, maybe even a five. Because yeah. go, if you go and watch this movie, yes, it does lull in the middle. But then I, it might be intentional to go really, really slow. Because the last, what, 40 minutes is like, that's worth the ticket price alone. When they do the thing, so uh, the things they, yeah. I would, I would, I would say that where you're talking about it lulling, to me, isn't a flaw because almost all of the stuff where it lulls is setting up not just the intra-character conflict, especially between Maverick and Rooster. And then Maverick trying to figure... It's also then him figuring out how he's going to have to resolve that conflict. And then in the last act, the conflict is resolved. Like, it's <laughs> it's it's not without payoff, right? Like, it's introduction, yeah. setup, and payoff. And it's true that, like, it starts out with um, a test flight, which is... It's one plane going in a straight line, but manages to be beautiful and intense. And then the first scene of flying at Top Gun at the beginning of the sort of the end of the first beginning of the second act is a pretty incredible montage of fight of dogfighting. And then there's a, there is a lull as they, you know, they have to sort out all this character work. But by doing all that in the second act, when they go into the final set piece, everything is in place. There's no, like there's a bunch of exposition in the middle of this movie. That's true. But then there's none at the end, right? Because yeah. you know everything and you feel everything and it's fine. Yeah. And yeah. my feedback is that it is a five out of five and I have no notes. <laughs> <laughs> Can we please talk about Jennifer Connelly? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just, she's she's just, great. And I know that your, yeah. I, as, a, as a Top Gun lover, I know that it would have been nice to see Kelly McGillis come back, but she doesn't really appear in movies anymore as far as i can tell and uh jennifer connelly is wonderful in this movie and her role is basically like guy who tell a person who tells maverick exactly what he needs to hear exactly when he (laughs) needs to hear it 
but she does it. She manages. It's the, it's the most thinly written of character, but she manages manages to make this character a whole person with She's very little really, to work with. I I loved her character. I loved the setup of her as a single mother, and I loved the sort of age appropriacy of their relationship. I love how this <laughs> the sex scene between the old people is them talking. It's like yeah. just get out just get out just get out wordle and do that. Like let's make it super authentic. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I remember you telling me that like you didn't want to take your kids because there was apparently like a weird upsetting <laughs> sex scene. And me I being like <laughs> and, and me texting back and being like there's like the sex scene isn't even a sex scene. Like they kiss really twice, got... and then it cuts to them talking in bed. Like, I, I got my hopes up uh, seeing Jennifer Connelly in an upsetting set scene because there's there's lots of sites that tell you the beats of a movie in relation to can you take the kids to this movie, and many of them are really really useful. My kids get very upset by very specific things like knives, blood, and jump scares, and then any kind of overt sex you I want to avoid at their age, but. Um, so one of the sites was like it was pretty good, but we uh, it was unfortunately one really upsetting sex scene, and I w- I wonder if they saw a different cut of this movie than I did. So interestingly, some... interestingly, I am acquainted with a person who because this movie's been delayed because of the pandemic three or four times, at least three times. So I know someone who saw it at the original like press screenings two and change years ago. And they said, and they saw it, and they wrote a review in time for like the first embargo and release date, and then it got delayed. So they were sitting on a review of this film for like two years. Um, but the point is that they then saw it. They then saw it again when it came out, and they were because they were wondering the same thing. Like the it was a little bit temp tracked, and there were some missing songs mm. on the version they saw. But then when they saw it again, they were like, "Nope, this is the same movie." The, the, it's definitely finished, but it's shot for shot. It's exactly the same. Right. Interesting. Um, in in terms of the way it's put together as well, I do, going back to what you mentioned something earlier about that tweet you retweeted, I went, when I went to Whistler, we had uh, AMC on cable, and I spent much of the weekend with AMC on in the background just moaning how they didn't make movies like that anymore, like good adult action movies that kids can also watch to a point. Mm-hmm. And this feels like an, a direct callback to that because it was an adult action movie, but I'm so appreciative that they they could have shown a more explicit sex scene. They could have been uh, more like even blood or, or people dying, nice people dying, but it was... I don't know if it was intentional, but it turned out to be a movie that you can take your whole family to completely safely. Mm-hmm. And everyone from the youngest to the oldest will get something out of it. Um, my wife, certainly, <laughs> during when Miles Teller did his little shimmy, um, I just I looked at my wife and she had, I think her, her face was like 90% grin. <laughs> just like mean, teeth everywhere. You mean during the football scene? During the football scene where Miles, someone runs into Miles Teller and he kind of does this little shoulder, like, Elvis thing. Yeah, and, it's, in the, um, it's in the trailer. I know the one you mean. And uh, and she she was... Um, so she loved that. So there's something for everyone. And yeah. I, I really appreciate that it's a nice, really old-fashioned kind of movie, but just done really, really well. Yeah. You know who else I really like in this movie and who I hope this movie finally helps, like 
break out in a big way. I know that doesn't really happen in the same way that it used to, but I really hope it does happen. Is Glenn Powell? I love Glenn Powell. Who is who, he? Because he was great. He plays uh, Hangman, who's like another uh, yeah. pilot in the program. He. It was interesting because when Miles, I remember years ago when Miles Teller was first announced and it was that Glenn Powell had gone to like read for the film. Everyone was like, Glenn Powell would be perfect to play Goose's son. Uh, but I think what, what, as I, I might be wrong, what I remember happening is Miles Teller getting the part and them liking Glenn Powell so much they wrote him into the movie. <laughs> like they, really? Um, oh, that's great. He was great. But Glenn Powell is never not great. He's always great he's very charismatic he has a, a wonderful screen presence and even in this one where he's kind of playing an asshole he's kind of playing an asshole that you love the whole time and uh his interplay especially with miles teller it is quite good in the movie and i yeah. i very much appreciate him and not for nothing i have i have a person who has mixed feelings about miles teller but miles teller is a He's very good in this movie. He's very good in this movie. He is. He is, which I never thought I would say that because he is a personality vacuum uh, in many, many other movies that I've seen him in, and he was actually great in this. Yeah, I think Miles Teller is occasionally wonderful. And interestingly, one one of the other movies I think he's great in is that movie Only the Brave, which is a story about um, bush firefighters uh, with Josh Mm -hmm. Brolin. And that's also a Joseph Kaczynski movie. So yeah. interesting connection there. And yes, you should definitely see Whiplash. Like that is a that's a good sure. movie. I really like Monica Barbaro as well as the mm-hmm. only female Top Gun pilot. And they um there was a really nice foil between Hangman, Glenn Powell's Hangman and her. And I thought they got the balance of the young bucks really, really well. No one was really obnoxious, even though Hangman was obnoxious but it came from a uh, a very maverick place of absolute confidence in yourself so his um you end up actually like liking him almost and i really liked the really quiet like bob was in there as well i thought that was fantastic actually this the the writing of this movie was credited to two guys and christopher Macquarie, and i would put money on the things that Macquarie touched because you can hear like his style of writing is so distinct. He is such a great script writer. Um, he's also really he's wonderful also, moments. He's also Tom Cruise's go-to guy right now too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But like, it, yeah. Everything, everything they've done together has been great, and it's it's not yeah. a surprise that they keep working together. But uh, yeah. and I'm obviously very much looking forward to Mission Impossible's, the missions Impossible's seven and eight. Well, it's funny, uh, this movie about can Tom Cruise like be this action movie hero anymore? And it's preceded by the trailer for the new Mission Impossible, where he looks amazing uh, still in this action hero role. Simon Pegg looks ancient now. I don't know what... <laughs> he's been through the bill a few times. Uh, everyone's starting to look their age, but he he's still, like even just based on that trailer, he's still got it. And Macquarie knows how to make him look real good. Like he, they, he knows him so well now. I got a question about Ed Harris. Yes. Like Ed Harris turns up for like a minute and a half. Yeah. Is he in the original? Is this a callback to the original? Is he in? Uh, or no. Is this just like? Is this just like special guest star? I think it's Ed a special Harris. guest star. I, to be honest, my my thought was that 
maybe they wanted to get James Tolkien, but then couldn't. Uh, James exactly. Tolkien, who very famously, uh, yeah, Principal Strickland from Back to the Future, right. um, yeah, yeah. who very specifically, like, if you're an '80s movie nerd, you've seen him in a bunch of stuff. But what you really, really remember him from are Back to the Future and Top Gun, okay. and you know, there's there's other things as well. But those are the two things that he's like best known for. And I kind of wonder if maybe they just couldn't get him back for some reason. And they wanted someone mm-hmm. with a similar level of gravitas yeah. and grumpiness. And Harris is so great though. He's in this movie like six, seven shots. And he's only in the, he's what? only in the very beginning of the first act, which is really functions as a prologue. Like it's not yeah, even yeah. part but of the story. proper. He's so effective, isn't he? As an actor in that role that he is, he's a real highlight, I think. Yeah, and um, who's the? Uh, there's a name that I wanted to bring up that has escaped my brain because I closed the window with the cast list. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> Apparently, Manny Jacinto's in it. I didn't see him in it. Uh, Jason, Jason from The Good Place is in it somewhere, but I didn't. He, spot yeah, I remember seeing him, and I don't remember where. Um, but the person I'm trying to think of is. Um, uh, Bashir Salahuddin, who plays oh, yeah, Hon- Hondo, the like the new like the ground guy who's Maverick, sort of like you know, I guess the the British army term would be his Batman, you know, the person who's always there, you know, making sure he's taken care of. Um, and uh, he's a sort of he again is another case of that's a pretty thinly written character who mm-hmm. ends up being wonderful. Mm-hmm. like fully it's amazing and i know it's like a it's a collaboration between the performance and the writing but him and uh jennifer connelly's character especially have so little and so much to work with at the same time mm-hmm. like their their characterizations are so efficient that you can think back to them after the fact as fully formed characters, despite not really having that much to do. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. I very much appreciate how well-written this movie is. Yeah. I mean, that goes absolutely to support that. Even when you've got smaller characters like this, having a, a massive impact and a believable impact. And it's very, very difficult to get an ensemble, right? And this film is a huge ensemble with Tom Cruise at the peak of it all. And, uh, Everything, every character is balanced really well. Also, the editing is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. With all, um, in the last act, you have multiple planes doing multiple things at different times, and uh, I didn't lose track of them once. And I yeah, that's that, a good a good point. The uh, the choreography of it was excellent. Yeah, the choreography and the for uh, <laughs> similar to I think I said this about Aquaman. Uh, for a movie that doesn't have any, you know, it's in the skies. So there's no physical geography. You never lose track of the geography of what's going on. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. uh, and Manny Jacinto was one of the pilots. I just double checked. He's uh, mm-hmm. he was he was Fritz. Didn't make the cut though. Yeah, I don't think he made the mission. Spoiler. Spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but hey, at I least this one he... had Asian people in it. So. <laughs> Um, it's worth mentioning as well that the there's a moment in the last act 
which we've talked about on text this morning, that is, it is fan servicey, but it is so, it's such a gleeful moment when you realize what's about to happen. Yeah. I, I can't really, I can't say anymore. I you really can't. can't. can't you should, honestly, really honestly, you shouldn't have even said that much, it's, but it's, 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 it's so uh, perfect. Oh no, come on. There's a lot that happens in the last time. There's lots and lots and lots of things that, ha- that, could fall under what I've just described, but um, it's just good. It's just really like nice and good. None of it made me roll my eyes and go, "Oh my god, that's that's the guy from episode four that they meet in the bar, and why is he even in this in the Jedi Temple right now?" There's, there's no eye rolling callbacks, or yeah. there's no eye rolling moments. It's just really nicely done. And it is worth noting that the mission that they're trying to perform is just the trench run from Star Wars. <laughs> It is literally, it's fly through a cavern at way too low and then deliver a bomb in a tiny port uh, with laser-like precision. And of course, you know, do you you think that maybe their instruments will fail? I'm not going to tell you that that happens. (laughs) But... uh, The force is yourself. Yeah. The force is you. Yeah. Anyway, oh. I love this film. I loved it from... I think it is a very close second for me in terms of like the best things I've seen all year. I think Everything Everywhere Still at Once is still my number one movie of the year. But yeah. this is a very, very, very close second. I, and it films are, yeah. I have pre-ordered both of those films and I already know <laughs> which one of those two I can tell you for sure I'm watching again first. That's the thing. Like Everything Everywhere All at Once is a phenomenal piece of art that is very likely to be my best movie of this year and make the last couple of years but top gun maverick is the movie i'm going to put on over and over and over like when i'm doing stuff because it is so just rewarding as a movie and and to be fair to be fair to be fair to be fair it could (laughs) it would have been the easiest thing in the world for them to do a quick top gun cash in with tom cruise like they they did not have to put this level of good into this movie and it would have made money because it's a Top Gun sequel with Tom Cruise. The fact that it is so thoughtful and so well done in how it relates to the original story and, and evolves the original story, I, I just hope that's a precedent for for more things like that. I mean, I think that's how Cruise operates though, right? Like he, he doesn't choose projects that he doesn't have... Uh... A level of control over and he, he does seem and i am of the you know scientology is a cult let's not mince words about it but and he's definitely deep in that cult but he's he does genuinely seem to always want to make good movies and he wants to make them in the way he knows how which is with putting his body on the line and doing things as authentically as possible. And I very much appreciate him for that. Did I, you see the, pre, the pre-reel when he talks to the audience? We're like, we've been wanting to show this movie to you. I don't know why he's a gangster from New York. We've been wanting <laughs> to show this movie to you for years. Thank you for watching Top Gun in the theater. Did you yep. see that when he's talking? Yep. And it feels genuine. It does feel genuine. Yeah, I saw it. I've seen a couple of interviews with him now too, uh, mostly on red carpets. And inevitably, someone says, "So, what about the future? Is there going to be more Top Gun?" And one thing I really appreciate about him is he's like, "You know what? 
we worked so hard on this movie and so many people con- contributed and collaborated to make it a real thing. And the response has been so wonderful that I'm just focusing on this movie right now. And, mm-hmm. and as much as it is, you know, as much as it's a nostalgia fueled cash in, because it is on some level that, but it's not a cynical one. And mm-hmm. I genuinely appreciate that whether or not there are plans for more, um, I genuinely appreciate that he's like, we don't need to talk about that right now. We could just like enjoy yeah. this moment, enjoy what we've done. Like, yeah. think about the people who, because he does seem to, again, he said that's a major plot point in the movie you know with an unsubtle metaphor about movie making you know when an admiral's saying that like you pilots will be obsolete one day you know you only all you did was buy time for yourself and he looks out a window at a bunch of other pilots and says no i bought time for all of them and it's you know it's he does yeah it's uh he does seem to genuinely care and i do very yeah. much appreciate that about him and yeah. For all his cultiness and strange behavior over the years, I have always been a fan, and I always will be a fan, unless it turns out that he's done something awful, of course. But it's uh... well, yeah, that's always the thing, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, so, how many stars are you giving Top Gun Maverick? Matt? Well, five is the most, so that's how many I'm going <laughs> to get. Um, is it a four or a five for you, Simon? I f- I feel like now today it's a a really solid four i i feel like by the end of this year when i've watched it maybe 20 more times like it means a lot to me that my kids both of my kids were really into this movie and it's not the kind of thing we usually take them to go see it's definitely like upper scale and um my son who is definitely on a spectrum was giving a, a really cool director's commentary to the people around him because he was really into it we had to tell him to be quiet a few times <laughs> my daughter went to, my daughter adorably went to get water and came back he said so i just missed a bit why did he dress up like a prince to go and see penny in the bar because <laughs> he he he, goes, yeah, he shows um, up in his he dress did, whites yeah yeah in his dress whites and why oh the other thing i can't because it's a spoiler but there was one part in the movie that because you forget kids have zero context i'll tell you when we finish the podcast but it was just adorable and they both really loved it they they really liked it and they got sad at the sad bits and they got happy at the happy bits and when i asked them their favorites at the end and they they talked about the end and they 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 have no filter if they don't like something they'll tell you my my daughter's biggest complaint was that the seat was slightly uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) which is which is uh that's not amazing much not much i can do about that but i think i'm gonna take it to the cinema in the us where you have the electric recliners that i i slept through godzilla in like a baby so i'll take it to that one day <laughs> but um it's it really means a lot to me that there's a movie like this that is like the movies that made me love movies you know what i mean this is mm-hmm. the kind of thing i saw when i was young so i i, I think it will eventually become a five yeah. Um, because it really is a five star movie. Like personal preference aside, it's functionally perfect and it is really well written and well done and really enjoyable and I don't know. It's it's great. Good job, Top Gun people. Yeah. Well, so that's that. Uh The Righteous, you should watch it. 
I liked it, Simon didn't. Top Gun, you should watch it. It's one of the best movies of the year so far. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we're going to end it there, because what else can we possibly say that isn't a spoiler? No. Um, nothing. <laughs> it's, it's nothing. It's so, a good way to end uh thank you all for listening um if you would like to support us this is where i say my usual spiel you know five star reviews on your podcasting platform of choice um like us subscribe us share us on the social medias you can find us on twitter and instagram at awesome friday ca uh and patreon will be linked in the show notes if you want to link uh support us a little more directly um we produce this on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations here in beautiful Vancouver, BC. And thank you for joining us on this awesome Friday. Bye-bye.